uh, guess what we're going to get into for the word this morning? Communion. How did you know? So uh, as we look into communion, uh, of course, it's within the context of our greater series where we're talking about God's promises. And boy, no greater time than communion time for us to stop and consider God's promises. Uh, but, but it's even more than that. There, there's a preparing of our hearts and there's a, there's a fellowship with the Lord that we have an opportunity to participate in when we take communion together. And we're going to go back and, and really just look at, so, so why did the Lord give us communion? What really is supposed to take place when, when we're taking communion together? So let's start off, and again, if you're following in your notes, let's start off and let's look at the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> which uh, uh, that we read about in the Word of God with the disciples, Jesus with the disciples. This is a Passover meal celebration, uh, but the, the Last Supper, as we read it called in the Word of God, that is the first communion. That's the, uh, and that's the model that's laid forth for us. So let's take a look at Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So this is the night before Jesus was crucified. He and the 12 disciples are in the upper room to observe their last meal together. And from this day forward, right, the entire course of human history is changed. The eternal destiny of all who would believe in Jesus Christ as the risen Son of God, their destiny would be forever sealed in him. Uh, so, so a couple of thoughts here. Uh, that I just laid these out as kind of numbered points. Again, if you're following along on the note sheet. Number one, um, at the end of the supper, Jesus picked up a piece of bread and he began to institute the very first observance of communion. So in a spiritual sense, this is where our observance of communion must begin also. We can't partake of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us unless we first receive him into our heart, right? Can you say amen? It starts, it's to be a, a picture of something that's happened in our heart with him. We know the word of God tells us that Jesus is the bread of life. And he gave his life for us that we might live. Uh, if we are to receive him as the bread of life, it means we're going to have to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before him. We're going to have to confess that we're not worthy on our own. Uh, we're going to have to confess our sin and ask Jesus to come into our hearts to be Lord and master of our lives, right? That's, that's what salvation is. That's what being born again is. And that's, that's the starting point of participating in communion. Now, what kind of bread was used? Uh, it was unleavened bread because in all Judea, uh, at the time of the Passover feast, there was no other type of bread to be found. The law of Moses had commanded that beginning on the 14th day of the month of uh, Nisan, uh, all leaven or yeast was to be purged uh, from the house of every Jew. 
And again, all of this is foreshadow, right? We talked about this when we kicked the series off back on, on Resurrection Sunday, right? Everything that we saw in the Old Testament. So all that we see in the Passover, it's literally all pointing to what Jesus is doing now with the, with the disciples and what he institutes for us in communion going forward. So Jesus is represented in the unleavened bread. Leaven, we know in Scripture, is a form of corruption. Uh, it's a yeast mixture mixture that adds some flavor, but it also causes the bread to rise. Uh, so leaven in Scripture is a type of corruption. It's also a type of sin. So uh, it, it's a sin in the heart of a person that causes them to be corrupted. So Jesus is this picture of the uncorrupted bread that is broken for each of us. So uh, it's sin in the heart of a person that causes them to rise up against God um, in pride and arrogance to stand against, uh, willfully against the Lord, uh, which is why we have to surrender that and confess that when we make Jesus Lord of our life. So we have to meet, we, we need to be clean uh, and, and get the sin cleaned out of our lives. And that can only be uh, done through trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior, right? The word of God makes it clear we can't save ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. We can't live good enough. This law in the Old Testament, one of the primary functions of the law was to show us that we can't live perfectly, that we indeed need a Savior. So uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 5 verses 6 to 8. It says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old, old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but the, uh, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth." So it's neat what, what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, you know, get, get the, the sin and the junk out because you've been made clean in Christ, our Passover sacrifice. So the first step in our observance of communion, of the Lord's Supper, is that we have to cleanse our hearts from sin, confess that Jesus is Lord of our lives, Savior of our souls, and through repentance of sin, uh, we receive Christ and are made ready to pick up the bread of life. So number one, Jesus picks up the bread, and all of that is, is in the picture of what he picks up. And then number two, Jesus then blessed the bread. So no Jew would consider eating a meal without first offering thanks to the Father for his abundant blessing and providing the food that was available. Uh, to not give thanks both before and after a meal would have been great sacrilege. Uh, and this is where actually we in, the, in our modern day here uh, get the tradition of saying grace before a meal. It goes back to what, what we're looking at right here in, the, in the, the Jewish custom. So we can't receive Christ Jesus as Savior without giving thanks and without having a grateful heart. Right, so we should come to this communion time, giving thanks, full of gratitude, full of a grateful heart. Can you say amen? We know that God sent his only begotten son to us so that we could have eternal life and have forgiveness through him. Uh, it was only through God's love and mercy and grace that we were given this gift of salvation. Again, right, it's not something that we could earn, that it was through Christ. And then it's only proper, uh, therefore, that we give thanks continually for the goodness of God. 
So we, we want to have hearts that are grateful. And then number three, we see in what we just read here at the Last Supper, after the blessing, Jesus then broke the bread. So bread in the days of Christ throughout Judea was not made like our modern bread is. No large fluffy loaf that needed cutting. Uh, their bread was wide and thin, and it was actually very brittle. So it was easier to break it than it was to cut it. What, what, in an interesting picture, of course, that's laid out for us. Uh, the breaking of the bread both by Jesus and in our observances signifies that we recognize Jesus was, Jesus was wounded pierced and broken for us on the cross. Let's look at it in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this is the description of the broken bread of life. And we have to recognize that Jesus was broken and that he suffered on the cross for us. That it was for us. Only then are we ready to receive him unto ourselves. Now his body was broken so that we could experience wholeness. By his stripes, we are healed, right? Wounded, crushed, bruised for our transgressions and for our wholeness. And so as we look at the promises of God, the great and precious promises, as we've been saying through this series, it starts in a relationship with him. It starts as we surrender to him as master and Lord of our lives. It begins with this heart of gratitude and this, this, this somber recognition of the great price that was paid for us. But then we look at then what is the promise out of all of this, that our sins are washed away and that we have been made whole. And so we'll talk a little bit more about our sins being washed away when we look at the cup. But as we look at the broken body, broken for us, so that what is broken in us can be made whole. So we have this beautiful promise in what Jesus did on the cross for us. He has purchased wholeness for us. It tells us in Galatians uh, that, um, that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law because it says that cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree and Jesus being hung on a tree redeemed us. Jesus on the cross redeemed us from that curse of the law. And when we go back into the Old Testament and we look at the law and we look at the curse, it's basically a threefold curse. Uh, it's a separation from God and spiritual death. It's sickness and disease and it's poverty and lack. So when we look at his body broken for us, that his work, his being pierced on the cross has broken that curse. It's broken the work of sin. It's broken the work of darkness. It's broken the effects of darkness over our lives. So when we experience opposite of that, what is our response? Our response is to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? To say, Lord, I'll take you at your word and what you did on the cross for me, and Lord, I'll receive it and I'll walk it out by faith. Lord, because of what you've done, uh, you have redeemed me from, and then whatever we need redemption from, we just stand against that in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? 
So this is a promise, but it's a promise that we have to sometimes contend for. Sometimes we have to fight the good fight of faith to lay a hold of that promise uh, of, of what he has purchased for us uh, in his death on the cross. So number four uh, of what we look at that we want to understand from the first communion service, from the Lord's Supper, Jesus then gave the bread to each of his disciples. Uh, it was not only necessary to pick up, a ble- uh, pick up, bless, and then break the bread, uh, but then he gave it to each of his disciples. And you know, uh, we can recognize as, as much as each of us can and really should be encouraged to take communion on our own. You can take it by yourself at home, uh, but really communion is most, uh, most expressed properly, maybe we'll put it that way, uh, when we gather together in the communion of saints. It's the communion with the Lord and it's a communion with each other that happens. And so that work that Jesus did was then, uh, you, you know, the, the recognition here is that it's being passed out uh, to the other, to the disciples as well. So it's done for one, it's done for each one. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's look now, um, and then of course in, you know, in him doing the same with the cup, uh, it, 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 it's all of these same types and symbols what we looked at. You know, oftentimes during communion time, I'll focus in on his body broken so we could be made whole, so that we can take inventory and stir our faith to believe in any area where we need wholeness. And then when we look at the blood, because of the shed blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven. Everything that is sin, generational sin, habit sin, uh, it tells us right in Romans, sin no longer has dominion over you. So we can also stand in faith in this moment of just declaring uh, any place where, where we would see sin in our lives. That's not habit, that doesn't have dominion over me, that's not mine. Jesus and his death on the cross has broken the chains of sin off of my life. Can you say amen? So we, we stand and we believe and, and we war by faith for that as well. Okay, so I'm getting a little bit ahead here. Let's move on into now for just the, the remainder of our time, the meaning of communion. And, and I want to talk about communion in, you know, uh, in the context here of, uh, you know, remembering and looking back uh, and then, you know, our present and our looking forward. Uh, and, and, and then we'll move on from there. But let me talk first about looking back and, and the importance of it. And, you know, an interesting story uh, that I had read Every Friday, an old man uh, would walk to the beach with a bucket full of shrimp, and he would feed the seagulls with, with this shrimp. This is, this is a peculiar story, but I, I think it, it has a, a, is an interesting application for us when we look at communion. Uh, the, the gentleman's name is Eddie Rickenbacker, and, and in October of 1942, he had been sent on a mission to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur. Uh, with a hand-picked crew, he flew his B-17 Flying Fortress. How many have ever seen a B-17 airplane? Just monstrous, gigantic plane. Uh, flying this across the South Pacific. Uh, somewhere, the crew became lost and the plane ran out of fuel and went down in shark-infested waters. For eight days, the crew survived in a life raft and they ran out of rations and they knew that only a miracle would save them. So they prayed, and as they prayed, Rickenbacker felt something land on his head. It was a seagull 
came and landed on his head as they're in the middle of the ocean, starving to death, praying for a miracle. Well, he reached up, he grabbed the bird. Uh, the, the survivors, as, as kind of ugly as it sounds, don't worry, I'm not using this illustration in kids' communion today. <laughs> you got a couple of bonus illustrations where I'm like, that won't work with kids, that won't work with kids. But anyway, this, the, you know, so they, um, they ate the bird and they used, you know, some of the bird's insides as bait to catch fish and they were able to survive uh, until they were rescued. That's why years later, every Friday, Eddie just just in awe of this miracle. I mean, thought I'm as good as dead unless a miracle happens, you know, in, in such a heart of gratitude, he would go and remember. Think about this. This was from his perspective, the one that journeyed, uh, journeyed to find him to sacrifice himself for him that he might live. And so as a result, this guy was so grateful for the life he could now live that he would go and he'd feed the, the other birds that were out there, you know? Again, like I said, it's a little, little bit bizarre, but it's a true story, you know? And, and think about us and, you know, may we live with the gratitude, the recognition that, Lord, apart from you, we're, we're dead. We're good as dead. And it, it would take a miracle and there was a miracle, Jesus coming to earth and dying on the cross and rising from the dead for us and us embracing that miracle, right? And literally, as we take communion, we are remembering this great work on what he did. So let's look now, let's, let's go over to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26. Uh, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians here, and he, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Okay, so looking back, I already talked about that, uh, but, but that's, that's our, our, our next um, main point here. Why do we celebrate communion? Well, we're looking back to the past. The Lord said as often as we do this, remember him. What, what's the context? What's the understanding? As often as we do this, remember the great price that was paid. And, you know, there are moments that become pivotal in our lives. You know, maybe for some, you know, it was your wedding day. For others, the birth of your, your children. Um, you know, everything after that moment is different. You know, in, in, in those key moments that happen in our lives, right? They, they change the future moving forward. You know, like Eddie Rickenbacker that we looked at, uh, each one of us who is a believer uh, can certainly say we faced certain death. But because of that day, Jesus came into our heart. You know, our, the course of our life, our destiny was changed. So the Lord's table is a time of remembrance on what he did 2,000 years ago. He was betrayed. His body, like the bread, was broken. He was pierced and his blood was spilled like the wine. Uh, the God of all eternity loved us so much that he came to earth to die for our sins. May it be that we don't do what human beings can typically do. And that's to let familiarity breed contempt. 
to allow ourselves to lose the wonder of what the Lord did for us each time that we take communion, that, that we would live in a way that would keep it so very fresh in our lives. And it was interesting, I, I've mentioned this before, it definitely bears repeating, you know, in my youth pastor days, I can remember when the movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, came out in the movie theaters, and I believe it's an R-rated movie, uh, but, you know, when I asked in junior high Sunday school, somebody mentioned seeing it, and I said, well, how many of you saw it? Like, every kid in the, in the room raised their hands. It was, it was uh, one of those events that families, you know, decided, Let, let's all see this together as a family. But it was interesting. I remember there being, for a time, a softness, a humility, a gratitude that was so fresh. Why was that? Because in a different way, they were reconfronted with the price that was paid for each of us on the cross. And their response was a melted heart. The response was, oh, right. You know, for some, some of those kids in the junior high Sunday school class, they were saying, I, I, since I can remember, I believed, you know. I don't remember inviting Christ in my heart because I was so little when I did it. And I've been living it out and walking it out. And, you know, it's just important for us. I believe this is part of why the Lord said, hey, remember this regularly. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, here's another illustration uh, that I thought this was fascinating. The Taj Mahal in India uh, uh, by Mughal Emperor Shah Jahan. Uh, it, the Taj Mahal, right, one of the modern wonders of the world, uh, was built in memory of his favorite wife, Mubsa Mahal. And it's said that during the construction of the building, one day the emperor was walking through the building uh, and he banged his leg on a large wooden box. And he had that large wooden box removed as he was so wrapped up in the building of the building and, and the box was his wife's coffin. So the building was built to be in memorial of her and in his losing sight of what it's all about, he had her removed from the building. Is that not insane? And yet, isn't that a sobering picture? How many people have, have just allowed their Christianity just to be this thing that they do? And they have somehow moved out of the building the focus of what it's all about. Amen? Knowing him, loving him, remembering him, being grateful to him. So God knew that we as people could have a tendency to let familiarity get the best of us, that we could sometimes have poor memories. And so he said, do this in remembrance of me. One more uh, great story here. Uh, and, and again, this is definitely one I'm not going to use in, in the next service. I'm not looking to scar children. Uh, some years ago on a hot summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim in the old swimming hole behind his house. So in a hurry to dive into the cool water, he ran out the back door, leaving behind shoes, socks, and shirt, and in he went, and he flew into the water, and uh, not realizing that as he swayed toward the middle of the lake, an alligator was swimming across the lake there to meet him. However, his mother in the house, looking out the window, saw the two, and as they got closer and closer, in utter fear, she ran toward the water, yelling to her son as loudly as she could. Well, hearing her voice, the little boy became alarmed and made a U-turn to swim to his mother. But it was too late. Just as he reached her, the alligator reached him. 
And from the dock, the uh, mother grabbed her little boy by the arms. And just as the alligator, uh, you know, uh, reached up and grabbed his leg, and they began an incredible tug of war between the two. You understand why I won't be sharing this next service. Amen. Um, the alligator was much stronger than the mother, right? You can imagine, you know, get that picture. But the mother was much too passionate to let go. Uh, a, a farmer happened to drive by hearing her screams, so he raced from his truck, he took aim, shot the gator, uh, and after uh, you, you know, some time in the hospital, the little boy survived and made a full recovery. His legs were extremely scarred by the animal, but on his arms were deep scratches from where his mother's fingernails dug into him in an effort to hang on to the son she loved. And the newspaper reporter who interviewed the boy after the trauma asked if he would show him his scars. And the boy lifted his pants legs, and then, uh, with obvious pride, he said to the reporter, but look at, look at my arms. I've got great scars on my arms, too. How many you know, like, little boys just built different, right? You know, I've got great scars on my arms, too. I have them because my mom wouldn't let go. Amen. Amen. That's the Lord, right? We are in the grip of sin. And it was the Lord coming after us saying, I will not let go of you. Man, I think about my life. I, I came to Christ when I was 19 and for years I was running in the opposite direction as far as I could. And when I surrendered to the Lord, I tell you what, the gratitude of recognizing what the Lord had delivered me from, his great love for me. So these are the things that we, we don't want to forget, you know, as we uh, take communion together, as, get, as we get ready to do that in just a minute. All right, now number two, part of what the Lord encouraged us that we read about in Corinthians here is to look forward, and that's to the future as well. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You know, so we, we take communion and it's remembering what has happened and it's living, recognizing that he's coming back, that he's going to be coming again, right? And we're told in so many places in scripture to fix our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith and, and for us to, you know, not live in this world as if we're of this world, but to recognize that, you know, to have our, our, our uh, perspective toward heaven, you know, because the Lord is going to be coming back again. So it's not just about looking back, but it's about looking forward as well. And uh, then the last point here that we want to look at, uh, communion is also a time of looking inward. And if you ask me, I think this is genius what the Lord did in giving us communion. Because properly, properly cared for and properly stewarded in our lives, every time we take communion together, it's this little altar call opportunity anyway. An altar call opportunity for us to have a fresh encounter with the wonder of our God. And again, just so, so we look inward, that's the, that's the present, that's now. Uh, everyone ought to examine themselves, it says in verse 28, before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So again, there's even a warning in this for us to not allow uh, this just to become uh, something that's routine. You know, Paul had to give correction. People were turning uh, communion celebrations into parties where people were leaving drunk and all kinds of nonsense and sin was going on. And, and that was uh, so upsetting to the Lord because this is the very opposite of everything that is, th th this is meant to be and represent. 
So we took a, a fresh look here this morning at the first communion so that we could uh, be reminded there, uh, the Lord at the Last Supper with the disciples moving Passover into communion. And then we looked at communion is really a time to look back, to look forward, and to look inward right now. And for us here, for each of us, the, the big takeaway, you know, I, I've said this pretty much almost every message in this series, but, you know, remember when, when, when we look at the Word, we should never be looking at a message asking ourselves, have I ever heard this before? Yes, I have, so let me tune out and shut off. But instead, more importantly, we should be asking ourselves, not just do I know this already, but what am I doing with it now? You, you know, to say... To, first, we got to hear it. Then we got to do something with it. Then we have to keep doing something with it. And again, it's beautiful. This was instituted by the Lord. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What I did and what I'm going to do. Amen? And at the same time, we, we examine ourselves and we know there's other scriptures. And go ahead, you can open your communion. We're going we're gonna to take it now. You know, scriptures that tell us to uh, live circumspectly, you know, to examine ourselves, to see if we're in the faith. Let me bring us back to just where we started. You know, it all goes back to this picture of it is relationship with our God. It's communion, it's fellowship. You know, I think it's something precious to take important things and turn them into regular tradition that happens in our lives. That's precious. So usually it means there's things that, that, are, that are honoring, but we don't want them to become mindless rituals that we forget about why we do what we do. Right, another scripture tells us the traditions of, of man make the word of God of no effect. You know, so we, we want things, you know, it's, it's our tradition at Grace and Peace, the first Sunday of each month that we would take communion together. Uh, let's not let it become something that becomes routine. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 So I'm just going to pray. It's a simple prayer. And I want to just invite you, if there's any place now, just simple faith. Amen. Simple faith. If there's a place where there's brokenness in your life, if there's a place where you feel like sin has made some inroads, and you just want to see it kicked out, uh, as you take this bread and as you drink the cup, stir your faith to say, Lord, I am believing you now. I am applying by faith the work that you did on the cross for me. I declare I am whole in whatever area in Jesus' name. I declare I am redeemed and that sin is broken in whatever area that, that you need to work that into. And just by simple faith, we walk by faith, right? We are to live from faith to faith. So we can make this opportunity this morning here, this first Sunday in May, if there's been something plaguing, if there's been something stubborn, now by faith you can look back to this moment and say, no, nope, when I took communion, I declared and I believe and I'm walking it out and I'm believing. Then when the lies from the enemy come, when the circumstances come that want to stand in the face of it, we can say, no, no, I am standing in faith, I am declaring and and." I will see in the natural what I called done in the spiritual by faith. Amen. So, Father, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion here today, we thank you so much for sending your son. 
Jesus, we thank you, Lord, to think that you told us in your word that it was for the joy set before you that you endured the cross. And that joy was that we would be ransomed back, ransomed back, free from sin, made whole by you. And so, Lord, we do take some time to evaluate. And we just pray here today, whether we've been believers for one day, one year, or for a hundred years, Lord, let it be that there is a renewed awe, a renewed wonder, Lord, not only of the price that you paid, but in, also in remembering your coming again. And so we turn our hearts and our eyes toward you as we take this communion today. We give you all praise and honor, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Lord. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, pray your blessing on each one. Lord, throughout the ne this next week, draw each one here closer to you as we walk by faith, not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen.